0: Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. What is a neighbor? What does it mean to be a good neighbor? Does it mean to be helpful? Does it mean to always agree with the person around you or, or... The people who live near you. Does it mean to mind your own business and keep it to yourself? Sometimes that's what it means, right? We're starting this series, uh, and I believe that the first thing we need to define and to bring clarity to is the word neighbor. Because if I were to ask you, what is a neighbor? What would you say? Now, we all have the classical definition based on geography, right? The neighbor is the person who lives near you, in your neighborhood. The person who lives to your right or to your left, if you live in an apartment, is the person who is like two, three doors down. If you live in a home, people who live above you, beneath you, beside you. Um, but I've, we, we just moved recently, about 11 months ago. And if I'm honest with you, I probably had conversations with two of my neighbors this whole time. Or you say hi. If they're walking their dog and hey, how you doing? But actual conversation of introduction, here's my name, it's the guy from the back and the person across the street. And, and since then we haven't really talked. So is that what being a neighbor is? What does it mean to be a good neighbor? Please don't say Jake from State Farm. Don't say that. Like a good neighbor. My, my kids are in an ad kick now. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be walking around the route house quoting ads and singing ad jingles. Like, that's, that's, that's pretty good programming right there <laughs> from the ad companies. I think a big problem today is that we have a poor understanding of what a neighbor actually is. Or maybe even worse, we just don't care. We just don't care to be a neighbor. How can we have a community, though? if we don't understand this elemental part, if we don't have clarity on what it means to be a neighbor, let alone what it means to be a good neighbor. So we're going to explore this in the next few weeks, and, and we're going to get into the weeds of it. But today I'm going to give you a broad biblical definition of what a neighbor is. And I, I think that if you, if you can just embrace this one simple idea, it can make a difference in how you relate to others, and how you relate to coworkers and people around you in your circle. I'm going to talk about what it is, and then I'm going to talk about why is it a benefit for you to be a good neighbor. Now, the Israelites, early in the scriptures, they had somewhat of a definition of what a neighbor is. For most of them, a neighbor was a fellow Israelite. Uh, It's okay. The kids are going to make noise out there. It's part of the process. Uh, don't worry about it. I, I, I like that they're having fun. You know, you're gonna hear them scream. The louder they get, it means the more fun they'll have. All right. And then if it bothers you, just pray for a building. All right. It's okay. I want them having fun. I want them enjoying each other. And if he, if he say, ah, it's my church time, pray for a building. All right. We'll we'll put it in a in a, in a sound sealed room. <laughs> but like I was saying, the Israelites Uh, early in the scriptures had somewhat of a definition of what a neighbor is. For most of them, a neighbor was a fellow Israelite. Someone from their tribe, a child of Abraham. Which is not a bad idea when you're roaming through the desert after being slaves for 400 years and you have no political allies but adversaries. It's good to have a sense of family and community when you're in that situation. And I'd say... Sure, your enemies want to kill you, but your countrymen, they are your neighbors. That's a good definition to have. And here's a passage straight from the Torah that could lead you to, make that, to draw that conclusion. And it's in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. Uh, it says this, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I bet a lot of you, or maybe some of you, did not think that love your neighbor as yourself came from Leviticus, right? But that's where it comes from. The idea of loving your neighbor as yourself is embedded in the law and the Torah. And from this ancient text, we get this fundamental, fundamental guideline that stretches all the way into the Gospels and has stretched all the way into our lives. We ought to love our neighbor as ourself. But the question of who, who is my neighbor, was often answered by a command on verse 18. Vengeance, grudge, right? What he mentions there. You, you shouldn't take a vengeance. You shouldn't hold a grudge. Against whom? Against your own people. So the idea that was that was put in their, in their minds is, well, then, then my people is my neighbor. My own people is my neighbor. We're going to explore this passage a little more next week. But it's from here that the people of Israel realize, well, maybe... Maybe it's just us, just our people. But the question of who is my neighbor, it, that question wasn't completely answered. It still lingered. Surely they thought that a neighbor was somebody from their own people. But when the Israelites left Egypt, you have to remember that when they, they left Egypt, when the Lord delivered them with, with a mighty hand from uh, uh, the, the, the power of Egypt, there were a lot of Egyptians that said, Whoa, their God is doing all these things. I'm going to go with them. I don't know if you remember that, but when the Israelites left Egypt, a bunch of Egyptians came along and said, we want to be part of your crew. We believe your God is the real God. And so from its inception, the Jewish nation, the people of God, they were not a homogenous, just us, just us four and no more people. They were not an exclusive nation. They had other people. They had Immigrants, they had refugees coming with them in that journey through the desert. So the question of who is my neighbor kept coming up in their discussions. And most religious leaders, as time went by, proposed that your neighbor is your fellow countrymen. That being a neighbor means bloodline. That being a neighbor means being a descendant of Abraham. That your own people are, is your neighbor and nobody else. But then Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus hangs out with everybody. Jesus was a neighbor to everyone. Jesus talked to men and women. I know, shocking, right? He taught women the same way that he taught men. Jesus valued children. I know this is common for us today. But in those days, children were pushed push aside. They were not valued. In fact, in many of their cultures, they sacrificed children. It is a, it is a staple of paganism to sacrifice your children. That's why when, when culture goes away from God, they focus on children. But Jesus, Jesus valued children. Jesus said, children shouldn't be like us. We should be like them. It's a tremendous value from Jesus' from Jesus's teaching. Jesus talked to tax collectors. He talked to prostitutes. He was a neighbor to the lepers. Jesus hung out with demon-possessed people, unclean people. And Jesus even talked to those filthy, unruly, despicable Samaritans. Those people. Jesus talked to them. In fact, the first person that he revealed himself as the Messiah was to a Samaritan woman. My God. So the masters of Jewish law came to confront him. They are trying to trap him. That's what Luke says, that they were trying to trap him. And one of them came and asked Jesus, How do you inherit eternal life? And so Jesus knew his heart. He said, what does the law say? And he said, well, the law says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you said it right. Do this and you shall live, period. And he said, hmm, okay, I got you now, Jesus. Well, who is my neighbor? And that ever lingering question came up. Who is my neighbor? According to Luke, the man was trying to justify himself. He was trying to justify his actions and his prejudices. Who do I have to love? Jesus, I certainly should love people like myself, right? The na- my neighbor is those who look like myself. My neighbor are those who love me back, right? The people who treat me right, th- those are my neighbors. Those who look like me, right? Those are my neighbors. Those who talk like me. Those who act like me. Those who think like me. Those, who- those are my neighbors, right, Jesus? Not the people who irritate me. Those can't be my neighbor. Certainly not the late, always late pizza delivery guy. <laughs> he can't be my neighbor. I can't have to love him like I love myself. But Jesus, when he, when he received the, 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 the question, brilliantly answered with a story. And this is a story that has been part of our folklore as a nation, culturally. Some of you, you don't know this story, but you know what this story is about. If you're not familiar with the scriptures. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed, on, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil on, it, on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you, you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus is asking now, to the the... the, the this lawyer, this, this religious leader. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst ro- among robbers? And so the man who was trying to trap Jesus said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. What a brilliant story. And like I said, some of you, you know this is part of our culture. You watch the news. Somebody's stranded on the road. There's that, that aerial camera of a good Samaritan, right? A good Samaritan came to help. If you're not familiar with the scripture, you might not even know that those, the, the term good Samaritan came straight from Jesus. But that's where it comes from, from this story right here. And we all know what a good Samaritan is. But it typically is classified as a random act of kindness with no attachments. Just random. There are a few things that Jesus clarifies, though, from this story. First thing he clarifies is this, that we should, in fact, love our neighbors as ourselves. So look at somebody next to you. Look at them right now and tell them, hey, you better love me like you love yourself. Come on, tell them, you better love me like you love yourself. And all the single people are like, oh yeah. Come on now, Pastor. <laughs> so that's what Jesus confirms. He affirms. But then he brings that, all that philosophical questioning, all the pondering, all the w- about what constitutes a neighbor. To something very, very, very simple. Something that anyone can grasp. Something that you can understand here today. Jesus essentially explains that being a neighbor, it's not about color. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about your title. It's not about your position in the church. There were Levites and priests in the story. It's not a department in the government. It's not a nationality. It's not a bloodline. Being a neighbor is an action. It's what you do. Who proved to be a neighbor? Definitely not the robbers. They were not a neighbor. Not the priest. Not the Levite. You're not instantly a neighbor because you have some kind of church title. The neighbor was the Samaritan. The despicable enemy. The Samaritan. Why? Because Samaritans are inherently good? No. Because that specific Samaritan in the story showed mercy. Jesus defines it. Being a neighbor is an action. It's an action. But then the second thing Jesus clarifies is that being a neighbor is a command. Being a neighbor is an action, but it's also a command. Everybody say command. 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 Now, when we hear the word command, it kind of, it, it, it. I don't, we live in such a rebellious culture; it kind of churns something on the inside, right? Command. No, I don't want to do it. But love your neighbor as yourself is a command. What is a commandment? Commandments are conditions for us to experience God's everlasting life the promises that he makes the commandments are conditions and everywhere in the scriptures from genesis to revelation there are commandments things that we ought to do things that we are encouraged to do things that we are uh, that we are uh, uh, led to do and if we don't we don't get to partake if we don't we don't get to live the promises now this may sound harsh but it's not harsh it's not unfair it's not inappropriate. And it's not manipul- manipulative. We understand this. If you've, if you've been in any kind of relationship, you understand it. But all my married people in the room, you understand this. And if you've been married before and you're no longer married, you understand this. Because can you build a strong marriage without love? No. Can you build a strong marriage without trust? Can you build a strong marriage without respect? Can you build a strong marriage without good communication? <laughs> so you could say that a condition for a good marriage are those things. Those things are condition. And they are good. You could even say that those are commandments to have a good marriage. And that's what a commandment is. It's a condition. Now, like I said, we've become such a rebellious culture that we get turned off by the word commandment. You say commandment, you're not gonna do it. No? Some of you got it. Not gonna do it. Friends, God's commandments are good. Not just the fruit of Him, not just the result. It's not like you need to do this really bad thing that's gonna, you're gonna hate doing it and then you're gonna get what's good. No, the commandments themselves are good. They lead us to a good life. It is good to love the Lord with all your heart. It is good to love the Lord with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And it is good to love your neighbor as yourself. It's good. How many times we think that loving our neighbor is about doing something nice for people once in a while. The way that we have stapled this idea of a good Samaritan, right? It's a random moment. That happens, you can't plan for it. If it comes across your path and you feel like it, you'll be a good neighbor. Otherwise, just keep living. And that's all right. It's not bad to do good things randomly. But loving your neighbor is sharing of yourself. Loving your neighbor is, is, is sharing of your life with someone else. It's not just about what you can do for them. But it's about what happens when you share in that love to both parties, to both people. Scripture says that we are members of one another. That means we are meant to be connected. That's what we were designed for. Now, we just went through a pandemic. And in this pandemic, we were told to isolate, to stay away we were told that that's how you show that you love your neighbor to disconnect and stay apart isolated and i'm not saying that this is unnecessary it was unnecessary you're foolish but did you feel the love did you feel loved when you were locked by yourself in your room without contact with anybody else did you feel love when you had to like cover yourself and stay 6 feet apart from everybody all the introvert people want to say yes. <laughs> and you can say yes for about two weeks. But when you were six months in, you're like, man, I need some people. I need some, you know, I don't care. I need some people. I'm going to risk some stuff. Were you, was your life full of care and friendship when you were so isolated? No, it was terrible. It got lonely. Things got slow. Like I said, I'm not saying it wasn't necessary. It was, it was necessary. But being a good neighbor is much more profound than being there for someone else randomly as we just all experienced. Being a neighbor blesses you. It's about the connection and, and it's about the action of being together. Because it necessitates that you be present and active and alert and together with others. It's about being in connection and in movement with one another. And isolation, isolation is an action. Isolation brings everything to a halt. And we were just isolated during the pandemic. And when we were isolated, we deactivated that part of us force, forcefully. And we have to deactivate that part of us that should be active, that was designed to be active. You know, Cicero, the Roman scholar who lived about two centuries before Christ, he said that someone who is inactive is barely alive. And I think that's true. It was based on something that Aristotle used to teach. Someone who is inactive is barely alive. Why? Because life is motion. Everything that is alive moves. It grows. It moves. And life is movement. We're made to move. Move toward others. Care for others. Bless others. And in that movement, it blesses us. Did you know that loneliness even affects your perception of time? that when you're isolated it affects the way you see the way you perceive time a study was done on this and it showed that loneliness including depression uh, with the uh, not along with but loneliness as well as depression darkness and cold for that matter <laughs> makes us feel like time is passing more slowly it slows everything down we perceive that, that we're not living in the same pace. We're not living to our fullest potential. And so this is important for us to know because when you're in a pit and you're disconnected, like we all were for a moment, but maybe some of you, you're going through it even right now. Like when you're in a pit and you're disconnected and you're apart from others, it's easy for you to feel like life is just dragging. Like you're not accomplishing anything. Like you're not moving. Like you just, you're just dragging. Frozen in time and space. And there's no mobility. There's no movement. There's no... Life is not moving forward. And everybody else seems to be moving right along. And you're left behind. If you're in that situation, if you're in that emotional space, let me tell you, God is for you. He loves you. He can strengthen you. He can give you what you need to get moving again. But... I got to encourage you to take a piece of advice from Jesus' from Jesus's teachings and follow Jesus' commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Take that step. So look at the person next to you again and tell them, you got to love me like you love you. You got to love me like you love you. There's no way around it. you got to love me like you love you. That's what we were designed for, to be part of each other. Now, like I said, Aristotle painted this idea that living things move, right? Now, he said that everything that, that is alive moves in three ways. Moves by nature, by force, or by will. And I think that that's true. I think that that's an astute observation. And I think that this is something that fits not only our lives, but fits the scripture. Because things that move by nature, it means they move naturally, right? A tree moves up as it grows. Birds fly south when it gets cold. Bears hibernate. Raccoons come to dig through your trash at night. Spread everything on the driveway, and then you got to go out there like a dummy, clean everything up. I'm not bitter. I have not pictured a dead raccoon on oh, my trash can. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> the animal lover's like, oh, don't do that. They're so cute. But that's nature, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Things move by force. That means the wind forces the trees to sway. That means something other than the element moves them: the wind, a push, a wave. And then things move by will, and it means with intention, consciously. And I believe Aristotle was uh, was, was accurate because it's a great way to assess how we love our neighbors because for most of us most of us when it comes to love most of us we, we really love by nature most of the time we just we just love when we feel like it we love by nature if we're moved to it we will love we love whenever we feel like it the way the world and this is the way the world loves this is the way people love all around is it love we love by nature cuz you know love is love Like the great poet of our generation, Mr. John Mayer says, you love who you love, who you love, who you love. (laughs) The world's love is an instinctual, subjective, emotionally driven, appetite-dependent love. It's a love that moves by nature. And if you love when you feel like it, when you don't like it, you don't love anymore. So you break up, you move on, because you don't feel like it anymore. After all, you can't choose who you love, right? Love is by nature. It just happens. You're, subject, you're, sub, you're, you're subjected to it. The second way we love is by force. We're forced to love. When the Girl Scouts show up at your door to sell you cookies <laughs> for a donation you don't want to make them go away so you're f- you have to love you have to love when santa rings that salvation army bell and waves a red bucket during christmas you have you have to love or when the person that's scanning the groceries at the store says really loudly do you want to donate a dollar for children you're not going to look around and say no not a dollar you you have to love you love by force you have to love <laughs> And these days, there's a lot of forced love being misguided by compassion. But then, but then, how should we love? Is that how we should love? Should we love by nature? Should we love by force? How do we love? See, we should love with the love of God. We should love how God loves. And the love of God works not by nature. The love of God works not by force. The love of God moves by his will. He wills to love you. He wills to save you. He wills to love you. And Jesus made that clear that when we are to lo- that we are to love our neighbor by will, that we must go and do likewise. We must go and do like the Samaritan we must go and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Even if it's not in our own nature, we should will to do it. Meaning, we do it on purpose, we do it intentionally, we plan because we will to love. It is within our grasp. It's not by force, it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by the Spirit of God in us that the love of God flows through. We will. To love. And this matters. It matters because to be a good neighbor, it takes will. And we should all reframe our minds when it comes to reaching out to our neighbors and be there for them and be part of this. This connected relationship that God is calling us to do. Not just to be random about it. Not just to be a neighbor to those who sound like us, look like us, who are in our circle. But to be a neighbor to those that God leads us to. We are living in strange, strange days. Our Our world is getting stranger by the minute. And loving your neighbor as yourself is the solution to many 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 of our problems today, and we don't even realize it—that that is the solution. My 11-year-old daughter, who was who just started middle school last fall, she's in sixth grade, and she was chatting with two of her school friends online, and they mentioned that they were watching TikTok, and there's this trend that was going around around TikTok, and they they kept videos of, of encouraging teenage suicide kept coming up on their, on their device. And they were intrigued by it. And so these two kids began to tell my daughter and begin to open up to, to her that they, they were considering committing suicide. These are sixth graders. Eleven-year-olds. They started telling her that Life at home was tough, that they didn't think that nobody would miss them if they were gone. That life has no point. They began to tell them that school, school sucks. They don't enjoy school, they don't like being in school, but even then even though school sucks, school is the best part of their day. Home life is not good, so maybe maybe suicide is the answer. And so my daughter, my 11-year-old sixth grader, began to encourage her two friends and tell them that their lives matter. Tell them that guys, guys, don't do this. Don't commit suicide. Don't end your lives. Your lives are valuable. I promise you, you're going to look back when you're older, and you're going to, you're going to regret having these thoughts. I mean, this is heavy. This is going on in our schools. And so she began to encourage them and encourage them and talk, basically talking them them off the ledge and talking to them about how their lives are valuable and how she cares for them and how she, she their matter to her. And although I'm incredibly proud of her for shining the light of God and for sharing hope with them, when I was holding her 10 years ago in my arms when she was a baby, This is not what I thought she would be dealing with. These are not the conversations I thought she would be having at 11 years of age. Our world is strange. The enemy is at work. And be a good neighbor is not about the light little things. Yeah, that's great. Do that. Let people in front of you in traffic. Do all the good things. But people are dealing with real things. And we ought to get under the surface. So I want to give you a challenge today. This is homework, but it's good homework. I want you to follow Jesus' commandment this week and be intentional about loving your neighbor as yourself. I don't mean generally. I want you to pray. Every single one of you. I want you to pray about somebody this week that you got to reach out to and, and, and let it be someone on the fringe of your circle. Someone that you kind of know. Someone that's, that's just within reach for you to approach. And ask them, hey, how are you doing? You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to start with prophecies and <laughs> signs and wonders. Come up to them. And ask them, hey, how are you doing? And if they give you the, 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 the usual, I'm good, I'm good, hey. Get under the surface, push a little more. Say, no, no, really, I mean it. Like, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? Is there anything I can put in my prayers? Is there anything I can encourage you with? And it might seem forward for you to do that. But if they actually need someone in their life, you will, you will have made a friend. You will have been there for someone. And if they reply, you'll say, no, no, really, everything is good. They will know that you care. And when something is not good, they will know that you're available and that you're there. I'm challenging you today to break out of your routine. Because, see, you're not bad. You have the possibility of bad, but come on, you're in church on Sunday morning. You're pretty good. You're watching online. You're not as good as the people here. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's a joke, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. We all want to be good, right? We are all, we are all taking... St- <laughs> it's really a joke, guys. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm feeling bad. <laughs> Lord, I repent. <laughs> uh, we all are taking steps toward good. But I want you to notice, Jesus was, Jesus was intentional about who he picked in that story. He didn't pick a random person. He picked a priest and a Levite. Two people of authority. Two people who were supposed to be examples in their community. And what did they do when they saw the hurting person? They walked by the other side. What was the priest going to do? He was probably going to the temple to teach about God's love. What was the Levite doing? He was probably going to the temple to worship worship God for His immense love. We're not, we're not interrupted by the bad. We are interrupted by the good we do. And sometimes it's not the bad that takes us away from reaching out to somebody. It's the good that we're doing. Oh, I don't, I don't have time for that because I got to do work. I don't have time for that because I got to do this good thing. I don't have time for that because I'm working on something. It's good stuff. What, you, what you're doing is Good. But I want to encourage you today to to pay attention. It's not the bad things that keep us from doing to being good to our neighbor. Most times is the good. Most times it is our devotion to piety and to goodness that keeps us from being a good neighbor. Remember, being a good neighbor is an action. It means you have to allow your life to be disrupted. You have to allow your life to be in a place where you can be reached and you, in a situation where it puts you out of your ordinary routine. And for some of you, that's difficult. But I want to encourage you to see things differently. And I want to encourage you to do exactly that, to allow your life to be disrupted, to place yourself in an uncomfortable place, and to maybe, maybe you, you'll be embarrassed a little bit by asking someone, how they're doing by being kind to somebody maybe they'll feel like but if God put it in your heart if you feel drawn to someone this week whenever you feel drawn to someone this week that's how I should say it do it love your neighbor as yourself and I believe you will not only bless someone else like that good Samaritan. You will not only love someone with the love of God, like my daughter did, but you will be blessed by the connection, by the affection, and by the mutual love that you will share. And I believe and declare that God will use you to lift the downcast. God will use you to encourage the hopeless, to strengthen the weak, and to show the light of God in a dark world. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. 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 It's good to have you. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.